Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. I'm Lisa Fisher, a longtime broadcaster and journalist, and now a health coach based in Arkansas who's been in front of a microphone or a camera since the 1980s. I think of myself as the queen of Arkansas media. I started this podcast in 2020 to help you live a better life. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Lori Bouchard, a naturopathic physician in Canada who says you can give cancer the boot and take back control of your life. You'll get to meet her right after this. I'm so excited to introduce you to a new sponsor of the Lisa Fisher Said podcast, but not a new name to those of you in central Arkansas. You will say, huh, yes, I know about this. It's Marlsgate. Marlsgate is the property just 15 minutes from downtown Little Rock. That is the Greek revival property built in the 1800s, guys, and it is still maintained in mint condition. Now only the third owners have it. Martha Ellen and Bo Talbot bought it in 2017 and with tender love, take care of it because you know what? It's their personal home and they can open it to you, to the right person who wants to have their event at a treasure. That's what this property is. And they maintain the grounds, the house, they can seat up to or accommodate up to 500 people with the, the kitchen alone is 2,500 square feet because it is a working kitchen for events and things. Guys, it's a beautiful property. Go to their website. You can see the video that I produced and you can find out more. If you want to have an event there, reach out to me. I can get you with the Talbots. I'm having an event there in December, a cocktail party, because Christmas at Marlsgate will be off the charts this year. It's back and it's better than ever. Marlsgate.com. I love it when people do what I say. That's the name of my podcast, Lisa Fisher Said. Why'd you do it? Because Lisa Fisher Said. Well, that's what people say now when they go to Akles Carpet One. Akles Carpet One has three locations in central Arkansas. Now, the Akles family's been in the flooring business a long time. They are under different names in different states. So you may be shopping with them where you are. But I'm putting my focus on the folks here because Richard Akles, you might see him at one of the stores. You might see Erica, Courtney might be at the store in Florida. Yeah, these people know what they're doing when it comes to flooring. And I know that because I'm thinking of two people right now who just built brand new homes, used Akles Carpet One for everything. Such satisfied clients, customers. They will definitely be back. Uh, My producer, Darren Clanton, used Akles for all the beautiful flooring. He said nobody could beat the price that they have. They uh, provide the installation service after the sale. Even the tile in his home is from Akles Carpet One. And another family there in North Arkansas, it's a long way, but Erica Akel went there and spent time with them, walked through the property, and all of their flooring just came from Akel's Carpet One. You need to do the same thing. You will be a satisfied customer for life and you'll probably start a podcast so you can tell people about it. AkelsCarpetOne.com. She won most talkative in high school and she has been running her mouth ever since. Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast with your host, Lisa Fisher. Okay, kids, this is going to be another good one. I've been on this quest, I guess. I've always been on a quest, Dr. Lori, for truth tellers, but recently it's just kind of come into my path. Now I'm looking for truth tellers in the world of oncology and the things of medicine. 
that has really been a holy grail and has never been touched because we've always been told there's one way to do it. And it's called chemo, chemo and radiation. But now I'm talking to all these outliers that are going, you know what? You don't have to do it that way. And part of your message as a naturopathic physician is probably alternative treatment. Tell me how you got interested in the field of oncology. Sure. Yeah. So I was raised as um, basically a naturopath without even knowing. I actually repelled a lot of what my mom was saying because it just seemed too easy. She'd say, you know, get out in sunshine, drink more water, just foundational human needs. And I would always fight it. And I would say, no, I need to go to the doctors and get an antibiotic like my friends. And I need to go on this medication because if I don't feel well, I need a pill to fix me. And that was very much my upbringing where my mom would, no, Lori, let's get you some vitamin C and some natural antibacterials. So for my whole life, I was kind of like shoved medicine, like natural medicines down my throat. And I wanted to repel it because it's not, it was very weird back then to get like bean sprouts in my lunch and to get... <laughs> Sesame seeds in my Rice Krispies. Like it was very, she'd sneak in anything possible. Um, And so for a long time, I really, you know, no one wants to listen to their mother. Their mothers are always crazy, right? Like, what do they know? All the time I say this. Right. And then in high school, later in high school, when I was applying to universities, a light bulb went off and I figured, wow, I'm never sick. Like I'm hardly ever sick. And my friends are, you know, getting their appendix out and their tonsils out and sick all the time, having migraines and missing out on all these events. So when I decided which medical school I wanted to go to, as much as I didn't want to say, okay, mom, you, you know, there's something to this. (laughs) That's what I ended up doing is taking all the electives, all of the physiologies, biologies, and really understanding the why. So not just okay, this healthier option is better for you, but how come? How come our gut is affecting our immune system the way it does? How does stress and our gut-brain access play a role? So for me, I always have been an investigator and cancer is kind of like the ultimate and same with what you're saying, like autoimmune conditions and why is the immune system attacking itself? Why are these cells mutated and turning on? Like, what is actually happening before that diagnosis occurs? So the diagnosis is just like a fancy, you know, it's a symptom, right? It's there's a tumor there. That's a symptom of a whole metabolic effect going on previously. So understanding the whys is such a big part of my life in general. And I think people should question that. Like, why is that happening? Why? Like, Be that annoying person and try to figure out every single detail of why it's not why it's happening, not just slapping a a pill. And what I would have loved 20 years ago, you know, it's, and most people do like, that's a very easy thing to do. Just take a pill and move on. But yeah, it's always going to come back. You're going to have that same vicious cycle of things happening again and again, if you're not going to the, the wise. Now, conventional medicine coined the term functional medicine probably 20 years ago, but naturopaths may have really been the OG, as the kids say, of, of people looking into why are you sick? Exactly. And we know a lot of cancers are actually stemmed from a parasite, from a virus, from bacteria. We know that even with stomach cancer, H. pylori is the leading cause. Or wow. with lymphomas, a lot of viral, Epstein-Barr virus, there's been connections there. So we know how pathogens play a role in affecting our immune system and the dysfunction there, even with mold species, what you're exposed to. So exactly, it's really going down to the foundational 
looking at what what your body's exposed to and how we can start cleaning up and using nature like what in our environment can we change and enhance don't we say that all of us have cancer cells right now right Exactly. They they actually did a study. Um, I'll give you the name. Uh, Dr. Kawabauchi. Anyways, there was a there was a doctor who did a study on this to see what the circulating tumor cells and what the cancer rates are of a, th- a group of thousand people. There was one person out of the thousand that didn't have cancer in their body. Wow. And these are people that didn't think that they have cancer. So you're right. We always have circulating cancer cells and it's up to our immune system to recognize this, our natural killer cells to activate and to be able to get rid of these abnormal cells. So we're constantly in this battle, battle per se, of our bot, our immune system just knowing what to do. And it's all of the other factors like toxicity, like cortisol, stress, infections that disrupt and kind of confuse how our immune system naturally, innately knows to fight cancer. Yeah, you'll see people after a stressful period, after a divorce, after financial collapse, they get diagnosed with cancer. Yeah. So it's really the cortisol. We know, I mean, I, the more I understand cortisol, what a double-edged sword it is it, in that we need it. It's like insulin. Insulin's kind of a smoking gun of things. We need it, but too much of it has made us sick. Same thing with cortisol. And, and the thing with insulin, though, we can often control by our diet. Cortisol, we have to manipulate with our lifestyle, right? Yeah, have to make changes. Yeah, and it's interesting because I see that all the time in practice where they say, as soon as, you know, this stressful event, I know that's what caused my cancer. Yeah. And even on a biochemistry level, like we're all born with these um, tumor suppressor genes, right? So BRCA1, BRCA2, um, P53, there's a whole bunch that we're just born with to be able to suppress cancer or to kill off cancer cells. But with cortisol, so high cortisol, it actually downregulates those tumor suppressor genes. Got it. So that's a big deal when we think like, yes, our body should be able to fight it. But most of us are living off this high adrenaline, high cortisol. We wake up with our crazy long to-do list, go, 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 go all the time. And that's actually a very common theme with everyone I see in my practice. They take care of everyone else. They're the caregivers. They don't ask for help. They run these crazy busy lives and they are like, what? Sit down and do nothing for five minutes? Like what? That sounds stressful to me. So you can see how that cycle happens where the immune system just does not have a chance when your cortisol is through the roof. Now that's kind of addressing adults. There are anomalies and there are pediatric cancers to me that baffle me. So is part of that just DNA, pathways, environment? Exactly. Yeah. So, of course, childhood cancers would be usually like three, four generations back what they're picking up on. But usually there is a genetic mutation there where they do have the onset a lot earlier. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of sorry. What was the question with your with um, childhood cancers? I mean, we we can blame uh, a six year old with cancer because he smoked in his 20 he had environmental you know a lot of things but in a child with pediatric cancer it's not necessarily you know he hadn't had a real long life to have a poor lifestyle so it has to be something i was saying like dna yes I, i guess environment too i mean i don't know all of it and even from if i was to compare my practice from 15 years ago to the past five years 
it used to be only 60, 70 year olds coming in with cancer. Yeah. Now my whole practice is pretty much in their 30s. In, in their 40s. So wow. young, young people. And I attribute a lot of that to just what the generations back. So what their parents did, these genetic mutations. And even um, when I look at epigenetics, there's something called the COMT-SNP, which tells us how we deal with cortisol and deal with stress. Some people, they live off of this adrenaline and then they can break it up and metabolize really well. Whereas other people, it creates, creates this whole inflammatory storm. So you're right, genetically, there could be two smokers, the one who has this really great detoxifying genetic profile, can deal well with stress. You look at them and they're like, how is that fair? Like we're doing the exact same things, but epigenetics play a huge role in how our body can deal with those environmental, hormonal, stressful, any kind of stress in your life. Dr. Gabor Mate in his book, he published it last year and fascinating Absolutely fascinating. He and his son, I think, co-authored it. And he spent some time, I, I believe he's an Eastern European Jew, and he talked about Holocaust survivors. Um, they weren't the ones with the illnesses. It was the offspring of the mothers who had been through the concentration camp. And he talked about the epigenetics and how we carry things with us, even though we think, but I wasn't... the. The, the offspring wasn't a part of the concentration camp, but the mother was. And there's something about, I mean, there, you know, is it nurture or nature? We know it's both, right? In everything. Mm -hmm. But there is a strong genetic component. Uh, what, what's your opinion then on some mm -hmm. of these uh, genetic testings that can really look at pathways and the way you metabolize things and all? And maybe you could name a couple of them that you like. Yeah. Oh, it's a really important part of personalized medicine because, as you know, everyone is given kind of an algorithm in conventional medicine. You have this diagnosis, you do this X, Y, and Z. Um, but even in the natural world, too, a lot of people are taking curcumin, for example. So yeah. really great for the liver and anti-inflammatory. But if you have a, gen or, um, a mutation in the CYP2C9 variation. So with your, how your liver goes through phase one, phase two, curcumin is something that you actually shouldn't do because wow. it could actually make more toxic metabolites. So things like that. And then same with someone who with breast cancer or a hormonal cancer being on tamoxifen, you want to look at the CYP2D6 uh, genetic profile. So you can see like how your body's breaking that up. Even with um, how you deal with radiation, there's certain like the ATM mutation genetically. If if they cannot repair their own cells and then they go through all this oxidative stress like chemotherapy and radiation, it can actually make the cancer come back more aggressive later. Wow. So all of these really important things and same with um, another genetic one, everyone likes to go on the keto, the keto diet, right? And high fats are really important, but genetically you want to look if you have the APOE genetic variation right. and that'll tell us what types of fats, how much fat you should have and even looking at like insulin levels, ketones, um, hemoglobin A1C, homocysteine, like there's a whole list of things we can know instead of being like, yes, this is the diet that's great for everybody, or this is the treatment that everyone should have. We need to look at how each person individually is going to react to these therapies. Now, do you like uh, Dr. Jen Simmons I interviewed, and she likes the, I think it's called DNA 360 is that yeah. uh, one that you like or do you have a favorite? Yeah, the one that I like is it's called Nutrition Genome. 
I can give you a link later. I get I, okay. sure I get a discount code for that. But Good. I like it because it does address a lot of the uh, metabolism issues, like detoxing, how okay. and like where you need to focus in on your health, right? Like, do we need to really amp up the antioxidants, or do we need to do a really heavy protection protocol if you were to go through radiation? Even people who fly a lot, I have a, quite a few pilots in my practice too. People who their livelihood is flying, and they don't realize they've been exposed to radiation for decades and decades. Yes. Um, so genetically, we yeah. can see like where to really focus in on and to support them. So then if, even if they are in remission or don't ever want to have a cancer diagnosis, there's things that they can implement to protect them on a cellular level. So do you then, when someone comes to you and says, Dr. Lori, I've got um, the BRCA gene, which is the breast cancer gene um, that gives them a higher risk for both breast and ovarian cancer, correct? Exactly. And I'm an Ashkenazi Jew, and they have high BRCA gene genetics. I, I've never been told, and I've done some of these tests, but I'm saying I've heard it in my group of people, right? Is that a death sentence to you? Is that an immediate rip out all your girl parts and run on fire through a rice field? You know, what do you say to somebody when they come to you and say, this is what I have? Yeah, so the BRCA1 and 2, it's another tumor suppressor gene, like I was saying. So they are going to be four to five times higher risk of getting a cancer diagnosis. But does that mean you should preventively rip out all of your stuff and chop everything off and just say, okay, I'm destined to have this? No. If you are a person listening and you know that you have the BRCA mutation and you don't want to change your life, you want to drink every day, like have alcohol all the time, yeah, you're yeah. stressful. You know, it's like if you're yeah. if you're the person that's like doesn't want to change anything about their lifestyle or learning anything to enhance the immune and support, then maybe that would be a good option, right? Because then you can't get cancer if that organ's not there. But then how how far do you go? And just realizing we have over a thousand types of tumor suppressor genes. So just because you have mutation oh. that one Right. And so for people who don't have that mutation in BRCA1, doesn't mean you don't have, like, where does it end? Right. Like right. looking at the genetics and saying, oh, I could be predisposed to this. So now I'm going to like chop off my head because I don't want yeah. brain cancer. <laughs> no, you're exactly right. It has to, it, you have to stop some of the nonsense. And of course, that's a very individual decision for somebody. But I, you know, I've lived a lot of years, people, and I have learned, I just hear all the time, what happens, the consequences of making decisions and those women can't get their parts back and could have maybe altered the consumption of alcohol or other things, which brings mm -hmm. me to um, Dr. Daniel Amen just recently in a social media. I mean, he's been saying it for a while there that, you know, there there's probably a target on his back now, but he's just saying alcohol has so many risks of cancer that we've really never heard about. Cause remember we were told to get the resveratrol in that glass and of red wine. And we, everybody at the nursing home was uh, drinking Malbec um, with their insurer. <laughs> right. So now I think we've pulled back on some of that and realizing that that could have been promoted by the grape growers of California. <laughs> you know, I always follow the money, 
But yeah, w- yeah. what's your opinion then, especially postmenopausal women and alcohol? I, I'm not seeing too many things that support it. What's your opinion? No. <laughs> and there's so many layers into answering that question because the type of alcohol is also important to know. You're right. Like if they're sprayed with tons of pesticides, like the grapes and the wine that you're drinking, and it's very inflammatory, or if it's high sugar versus the low sugar type, there's a lot to that. And also depends of looking at alcohol as a drug, right? Like what are you using that for? If it's, you know, for high stress and just to relax at the end of the day, what else can you be doing differently? Because absolutely anything oxidative stress on the system has the ability to turn these cancer cells on. Like there's no doubt about that. However, I just had someone in my practice, she's 80 and she's so sweet and she has a cancer diagnosis. And she says that the little glass, she has a little glass of red wine, low sugar, totally organic without all the salt. She has a little, um, you know, a glass of wine with her husband, who's also maybe like 84. They sit on their front porch (laughs) with the sun shining. And they say like, they've been doing this for years and years and years. And then they go and cuddle after and they just have this like, relationship. And I'm thinking, you know, if that's, I, so I, we've come up with some other drinks that she could have maybe Monday to Friday, she can do like a mint, like with Zevia, like some yeah. other carbonated, they have healthier patterns. But yeah, a lot of it has to do with genetics, but also looking at what is that alcohol doing? And if it's, you're in a very like calm, you know, this is part of, I don't see that as a huge I, issue. I know most doctors will be like, absolutely no alcohol. But if it's part of like, you know, you go out twice a year with your girlfriends and you are having a couple glasses of something and it's totally clean, low sugar, you know, gin is a healthier alcohol, um, choosing the types, then different scenario than, okay, I'm high cortisol, high stress, and I'm doing this just to like knock myself out and then be depressed. No, I totally (laughs) see that. And it brings into play, we really understand the whole individual. That means the, the oxytocin she gets from cuddling with Someone, we know that as seniors age, isolation puts them at a risk for dementia and cancer. Well, yeah. she has somebody there in a loving relationship. She's probably getting that sunlight in her eyes that I tell my clients all the time, you know, either morning or evening. She's probably drinking in the evening, probably not in the morning. Well, good. Mm-hmm. That helps set her mel- 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 melatonin, which helps her sleep through the night, which helps bring down the cortisol. So you just see that we, how complete we are and how holistic it is and it's not just we you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. you can't 100%. say well nobody exactly. can drink exactly and another patient recently where she was doing everything right everything is you know like doesn't drink has everything organic keto like very clean eating and she has a um, autoimmune condition where her rheumatoid arthritis just completely like seizes her up, becomes completely stiff. And so she could go like weeks com- feeling completely fine. But as soon as her dad comes into the room, she's still she's in her 50s and she's, you know, a grown woman. And she's like, I still have like even hearing him come, she will be inflamed and stiff for days. So you think about that cortisol, like subconscious. And she's like, you know, he used to beat me when I was a kid. He used to put me down and mental, emotional abuse. And he's not like that anymore because there's a bit of dementia. So he doesn't remember that. So I totally forgive him. Like I'm angry at him. 
But just like Gabor Mate says in his yes. books too, right? Like those many, for her, it was a larger trauma. Those traumas are so ingrained in her that it's creating this whole systemic effect, right? So yeah, you have to look at the whole picture and get rid of toxicities in every, in every way that you can. Yeah, what he says in that book that's so fascinating um, is that trauma is not the experience, it's the response from the trauma. And yeah. my family even noticed it this week because I was raised in addiction and abuse and a terrible childhood. I married the man of my dreams, been happily married for 35 years, but we were riding together in the car the other day and I jumped in to uh, diffuse what I thought was conflict. And my husband and son, my husband argues like a an attorney, my son's an engineer who argues like an engineer. So they were having this conversation and my husband said, Lisa, you don't have to come in and put a wet blanket on it. And I said, oh, am I doing that? And he said, you've been doing it for 35 years. <laughs> and he said, you've been out of that crazy family for 35 years. I said, isn't that interesting what a trauma response does that even though I'm safe, I feel totally safe with him, my kids, it's the response. And that's what that book, people need to read the myth of normal. It is really, really good. And I think a lot of people could benefit from it. I, I didn't mean to say that about me. It's just that I figured other people could understand. So that probably put a cortisol, that probably put me in high cortisol, even though nothing was going on. Y'all, they were talking about biblical things, what the Bible says, and not everyone's going to agree, right? We just know yeah. a few things are facts and other things are like interpretations, but it was just my nature to come in and go, you know, what are we going to eat lunch? You know, I did something to divert it. I can't remember. <laughs> but yeah, there's an actual ACE score. You've probably heard of the adverse childhood, right? Just to see. Yeah. So you know, maybe yeah. even in the womb, when you're in the womb, you had these very traumatic, right? That's your right. mom could have been dealing yeah. with a lot of stuff and you're born into this fight or yeah. flight having That's to right. fix everything. That's right. And I, I've talked about it on my podcast, all my autoimmune conditions Often people with high ACE scores have lots of autoimmune conditions that they manifest, which is so interesting that even my my vitiligo, my red-haired daughter, who is very, very, very fair skin, you can hardly see it, she's had a perfect childhood. <laughs> you know what I mean? She's married to the man of her dreams. She's got two great kids. But some of the epigenetics that she's carried, she has vitiligo. So yeah. it's very interesting. Yeah. And like you said, too, even with the perfect scenario and the perfect upbringing and perfect, yeah. a lot of that has to do with how that person perceives it. Right. So oh, same sure. kids could have totally different reactions. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. and seeing what could actually benefit them from that. So um, there's a behavioral specialist. I don't know if you've heard of Dr. John Demartini. Mm -mm. He would be great on your show. He is one of the most intelligent doctors when it comes to neutralizing these traumatic events. So oh. he'll take you through what triggers you, what oh gets you really stressed out. And even like, I see this a lot with um, patients going through scan anxiety and, you know, yeah. I have to update their blood work and just getting very overwhelmed of like, sure. what's going to happen. He goes through a whole methodology on how you can neutralize the sympathetic nervous system and how to actually turn it into gratitude for the event, which gratitude obviously is a huge healing benefit if you're able to capitalize on that. Wow. But, so he'll take like, just say, 
just say someone was abused when they're younger and then they had to like close up and become more um, of an introvert and do things their own way and was fear of all these other things. He would actually go break it down on how is this benefiting you now? Maybe you became a financial guru and you're super successful in life because you've had to set those boundaries. Maybe you've chose a relationship, become closer with certain people because you didn't want to just open up to everyone, but you actually had this really intimate reaction or um, relationship with someone else or even how it affects your health. And you say, okay, now I have to put me first and do things for myself. So switching all these negative experiences and putting them into what can I be super grateful for because this happened. And I see that a lot with cancer where they get this diagnosis where all of a sudden they go into this like death sentence and I'm doomed and all of that. But then all of a sudden they become super close with their family members. They see the love and support that they never got before or they never even knew how to ask. So it's bringing out all these amazing things where they're like, wow, I'm I'm here today. I can switch my perspective on this. So instead of cancer being a curse or an autoimmune condition or this being a curse, how can I love myself and my surroundings more? I love the messaging behind DogTalkTV.com. You've heard me talk some time about what Pat Becker Wallace has done. She's an Arkansan who lived in Oklahoma a long time. So a majority of her life and her charitable work, and there's a lot of it, people, has been devoted to providing forever homes for uh, these dogs and helping the rescues. Now, the shelters often get city and county money, but the rescues do not. So therefore, she has devoted much of her life's work and writing books that match the perfect person with the perfect breed, meaning your temperament. It works better with certain dog breed temperaments and then educating. That's really what she wants to do. Educate people on dog ownership and responsible dog ownership. So if you go to dogtalktv.com, you can order some of the books. I have them here. I gave some to a charity. I'm getting more to give to my daughter, granddaughter's school. Haven't done that yet. I've been busy. But when I do that, I know that the kids there can check out a book and learn more about dog breeds. In fact, if you have a child who's interested in writing children's books, they have a competition where you can find out more and it's all in their website. They have a children's book contest tab at dogtalktv.com. Know that you are helping the rescues in both Arkansas and Oklahoma when you go there, dogtalktv.com. Why is the food at David's Burgers just better than any other burger place in central Arkansas? Well, I can tell you, I've been a customer. I've been dining there for the 10 years they've been open, 10 locations now in central Arkansas, and it's the beef. And their passion is beef. They only use grade A Chuck Choice beef. They purchase in large slabs. It's fresh, never frozen. They butcher the slabs themselves at the local commissary into steaks, like the ones that you can find there at the stores. Yeah, you can actually buy some of the beef now at David's Burgers, davidsburgers.com. And it's just really good food. Now, the potatoes that they use, they don't use any additives or things that the competition uses. It's just Idaho potatoes that they cut and they fry and they bring them to your table. In fact, you could eat your weight and fries and you can get free ice cream at the end. The customer service at David's Burgers 
It's second to none. Nobody can do it like they do at David's. Remember, they're closed on Sunday so you can worship with your family. And this is a family uh, that David is the patriarch of the family. But the Bubba's family, they give to charitable organizations, especially when it deals with adoption and fostering because they are an adoptive family. Check them out online. We'd love to have you in Central Arkansas. Eat there. It's davidsburgers.com. Spell his last name. Demartini, D-E-M-A-R-T-I-N-I. I actually spent a whole weekend with him doing what's called the breakthrough method. Oh, and wow. anyone who has like, you know, I think therapy and going to psychologists, like really great, like talk therapy, you know, yeah. like the more you understand yourself, the better. But there becomes a point where you're like, I don't want to talk about this shit anymore. And right, I just want to move on right. and not be triggered by it. So I've done this with a few of my family members who used to very much trigger me and everything they'd say, I'd be like, oh, it's so frustrating. But now I look at it completely different. I have a whole different mindset around it. And you could do this really with anyone or anything that triggers you or something that you think you should have and don't have. And yeah, he has a podcast too. So you can really get some great advice from that. But going to stalk him completely after we hang up. I mean, doing the deep dive. Yeah, he's uh, life-changing, like completely. Uh, I've never met anyone like that. And he's done the research. He knows how it's all connected. He's phenomenal. Yeah. I love it. Can't wait. Okay, let's talk about what happens. Um, what's the percentage of the population now getting diagnosed with cancer? All ages. What is it? Yeah, so it's one out of every two people wow. will have a cancer diagnosis. And until we realize that this is actually in us and part of us, then there's no cure. Like there's not going to be a cure for cancer. All this research to find like targeted therapies and all these things. We need to know that this is part of a normal cell metabolism. And there's something off with our immune system midway through the cell cycle that's not catching this proliferation cancerous rate. So cancer is one out of every two people will get it. So you or I, well, you've like, I know I probably, it's a matter of time. I don't think yep. anyone is immune to cancer. I think the older you get, you either die with it. Like some people don't even know that they have a cancer brewing and they've passed away from other things. Right. So it is something that we have to look at um, how every day in your life you can do things a little bit differently. So we're not encouraging this cancerous momentum that's over time is likely bound to happen to every single one of us. Right. Is there cancer in the wild? I know domesticated animals get them, but do animals in the wild get cancer? That's a good question. They they must, but maybe not. Like I don't you think know. about even the fasting techniques that animals do when right. they're sick. They right. That's what I'm thinking. Know to do. Yeah, that's a really good question. To have a wild. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. Um, well, we. I, I use that same argument because Dr. Fung talks about, Dr. Jason Fung, the father of intermittent fasting, talks about in the wild, there is no obesity, but there is with domesticated animals. Mm. So mm-hmm. it made me think of the way we know what feeds cancer is a constant barrage of glucose and insulin. And it, those animals are eating in an, in, an ancestral way of eat, stop, eat, which is what I I try to encourage people to do because it mitigates, well, we know high insulin 
like I said, insulin's a smoking gun. Just so yeah. it's it's really the cause of so many illnesses. And so it just made me go down the next step of, well, if they they don't have obesity, obesity is a huge risk yeah. for cancer. Yeah. And yeah. we can't talk about it because we have to have body positivity. <laughs> yeah. Which is such a disservice to that person going, it's okay, you're obese, you look great. But yeah. let me tell you all the diseases you're going to have. Type yeah. 2 diabetes, uh, kidney stones, PCOS, cancer, dementia. But go ahead and be positive. That's just silly. Yeah, like the confidence, you know, like that's a whole different uh, conversation. And I agree. It's on a whole metabolic level, knowing insulin is a growth factor. And yeah, the more often you're eating, the more calories you're eating, Absolutely, it's connected to chronic diseases, inflammation, and absolutely with cancer. That's a big deal. You're right. And I think everyone should be, even females underneath the 25% fat um, adipose level, anything higher than that, you are at risk for more chronic diseases. So um, even increasing muscle mass, right? So how that can have a tumor suppression effect and anti-inflammatory. Yeah. Or myokines, it's a protein produced from the muscle. The more muscles that you have has an overall protective effect for all inflammatory conditions. So adding that into the day or into the week, right? Like how often can you just get your muscles burning can be such a big part. Um, Because I was reading too, it's sometimes not even just the adipose alone that predisposes someone to these um, chronic diseases. It's the ratio to how much muscle they have as well. So if you have higher muscle tone and you have a higher fat mass, it can actually be protective against that fat mass. So it's the obese individuals that don't have any muscle on them at all, then Uh, they're the ones at higher risk. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And as we age, we know for women, postmenopausal women, how we lose 1% of our muscle mass after the age of 40. Girl, I'm in that gym. I mean, I'm in that gym. And you know, it's funny, my perspective changed when I was in my 20s. You know, it was, I was looking at calories how silly, but it's all we had, right? It was the barometer we were were told. And then probably my thirties and forties, I I mean, I've always exercised something, but now I don't know what I weigh. I don't, I mean, I, I, I always say I only know what I weigh when I go for my bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, my pellet, she goes hop on that scale. And it's the same Mm -hmm. number it was the last time and the last time and the last time. So I don't really care, but I'm really focusing now on lifting weights, you know, we, Dr. Bickman says walking 10 minutes after a meal for, to bring glucose and lifting weights. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. my husband, it looks like a former NFL player. And that's why his, I have low fasting insulin. Cause I just kick butt, you know, fasting. He's kind of, eh, I mean, he's okay, but it's cause he lifts so much weights that also mm-hmm. helps push that glucose to the cell. So again, it just shows how we're fearfully and wonderfully made and everything works together. Nothing's isolated. That's mm-hmm. what I think we were, we thought at one time that if we did one thing, but then if we do the workout, then we also need to watch what we eat. And then we also need yeah. to watch how much sunshine we get. And I mean, I'm sure you're saying the same things. Yeah. And it's interesting how you ask, I'm just like still thinking about the animals in the wild. I'm like, do you think <laughs> okay, because, go ahead. You know, I was just really thinking about, you know, when a, um, 
you know, just think a predator of a tiger or something is chasing after an animal, just say, I don't know, a zebra. After they have this like mad dash chase, you would think after your life has been threatened like that. Oh, you know, you think about the cortisol and even how these animals deal with stress, right? Like they just go on and like, as soon as the predator leaves, they just start eating the grass again. And they're like, as if nothing happened. You know, and then you think of humans, how we're like thinking about it for days. Oh, we're hyped up. Yes. Right. And so it's that repair method where it's even people who work out too much, like you can take it as a signal of how your body's repairing. Like these marathon runners, you're like, how did they get cancer? I don't understand. Yeah. But their adrenals are so shot from literally being chased by a predator. All the time. And not repairing. So they don't let their body rest and repair. So yeah, if someone's listening, they're like, oh man, I exercise and it takes me like a week to recover. It's like, that's another part of how your adrenals are functioning. Maybe you don't need to go so hard. Maybe yeah. genetically too, your body's not breaking down that cortisol and stress hormone. Yeah, we learned that at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition about the woman who was uh, training for the New York City Marathon. And my listeners have heard me tell this, but I just think it's so profound. And she had trained for nine months. She ran 40 to 90 miles a week. She gained 26 pounds. Wait, yeah. what? She handed in her food journal. It was pristine, but she was in her 40s. That was too much of the tiger being chased by the tiger. She didn't mm-hmm. give herself the time to just eat the grass and rest. Yeah. And yeah. then she was so worried about her food. See, the people who do all the food journaling, too, and the and the calorie or the counting. And people always ask me, do you want me to hand in my food diary? And I go, oh, no. I, well, let's not know. I go, the only reason I care about what you're eating is if you wake up the next day and you say you can't breathe or, you know, you snored in the middle of the night or you belched or you're bloated. Then I say there's something you ate. But the people who keep such fastidious notes. Oh, my gosh. Simmer down, people. Yeah, it's too much. And I do like it, you know, checking ketones is important, like looking at glucose. But all of these diet diaries, the whole point is to look at the trends and to see how is your body reacting in this situation when you're fasting, how can it handle it? But you're right. It's like if you are fasting too long, your liver is going to start producing glucose as a protective mechanism. And same with over-exercising. How is that causing more inflammation? So yeah, tracking is good to know, but you're right. It can go way off the handle where it's like, ah, it's another stress. And how do you live? How can you have time to live? That's why I don't do the aura ring. I don't, you know, I I meet regularly with someone. He's like, well, he checks his ring. And I'm like, you'll know if you had a good night's sleep because the next day you'll wake up either (laughs) on time or you're, or you're still tired. You know, I don't need all that. That's just too much for me, but we're all wired differently, which is great. Okay, now let's talk about if Dr. Lori got a cancer diagnosis, what's the first thing you would do? I would move to Tahiti and (laughs) chill on the beach. (laughs) I would be on the beach and chilling. Uh, No, I, so I've already, I mean, every time I see someone, I have that in my head. I'm like, 
oh, I've done this and I've done that. And like, they end up with cancer. What can I, so I'm constantly yeah. investigating myself throughout this process too. And I, when I give advice of saying like, oh, you work too much and you, you know, and then I'm like, ah, so do I, I work yeah. too much. <laughs> I think that um, life work balance, I still have a struggle with. And I think anyone who's super passionate about what they do and yeah. what they love. Um, so do I see that as like, something I would change if I had cancer? Probably not because anything that really enlightens you and excites you, I think that is a really powerful thing to health, right? So doesn't mean because you have cancer, you should just like stop doing all the things that keep you busy, right? That you love. Um, yeah, I would constantly, like I'm already every three months I get my blood work checked. I look for pre-cancerous markers. So it's not just like wait till you get a cancer diagnosis to get your blood work done. But I'm always constantly looking at growth factors. I'm looking at blood sugar regulation. I look at my inflammatory rates, even things like fibrinogen and clotting factors. Oh. Every time I make a change in my lifestyle, I want to check my blood work again. Because I remember I was doing high fat keto hit training literally four days a week. My platelets went through the roof. My ESR, went, my inflammatory markers went through the roof. That was not the lifestyle for me. So I had to like cool the jets and do more meditation, breathing, less, still having more fats, but not as high as I was doing. So constantly tweaking the plan. And I would probably, if I had cancer, likely do every single month until my blood work looked perfect. I would get circulating tumor cells checked, so like blood biopsies. I would have my markers for that and knowing which therapy I need to intervene. So just say I was low iron and had like a hypoxic environment, maybe I'd want to do more hyperbaric chambers and oxygen enriched therapies, right? So I would constantly just be tweaking based on what my blood work is showing me. So the platelet thing, is that why we should go and give blood quarterly? A lot of, yeah, like giving blood is such a therapeutic thing to do if your iron levels are normal and your ferritin levels are high. So there's actually a lot more research coming okay. out on the active, um, it's called ferroptosis, where it's, so cancer cells love iron. And so any type of therapy where it's addressing kind of the accumulated iron stores then that's going to be a beneficial thing. Um, bacteria also love iron too. So you can have really low iron in the blood, but high ferritin, so the stored iron could okay. be really high. And so there's certain therapies you can do, like high dose vitamin C can have that cytotoxic right. effect, right? Um, but yeah, blood dumping and donating, really great way to get that ferritin down. Especially for men. It seems like men run the risk and, and really need to do it more than women and I, I can't, maybe the way they metabolize ferritin, I can't remember. Dave Asprey, I've heard him talk about it. Um, would you do the, so the vitamin C therapy is what uh, cancer fighter Owens talked about and other brave guests on my podcast. Mm -hmm. Would you do that prophylactically? No, probably not. Okay. No, okay. I, um, mistletoe. I would do mistletoe therapy. Now, what is um, that? It, mistletoe is a, it's basically, it is mistletoe, like Christmas mistletoe. Yeah. It's grown on three different types of host tree, but it's a semi-parasitic plant. And when you look it up, mistletoe actually looks like a tumor growing on a tree. So it's, 
it's interesting how it um, grows inwards, like it, like a tumor would, right? Um, they use this therapy more commonly in Europe, and they use it along like mainstream, along chemo, along radio, like all the other things. Um, but it is a cytotoxic agent, so it actually directly puts these cancer cells into apoptosis. It's anti-inflammatory. Um, it'll help with balancing the immune system. So I use it quite a bit on autoimmune patients as well, especially oh. if they have cancer and an autoimmune condition. Okay. Because you don't want to overstimulate, right? You want to help modulate the immune. Um, and so mistletoe actually helps a lot with the quality of life symptoms. So people who are like, oh, I'm too tired or I'm depressed or I don't have energy. Mistletoe is a really great agent. So if I found my neutrophils were low, lymphocytes are low, my, all my white blood cells were really low and I needed that marrow support, mistletoe would be a really great one, one to do. I would do it like preventatively um, so something else doesn't come later, like a cancer diagnosis. So I'm really huge on checking my blood work constantly so then I can put in protocols. I don't think one person should be on the same thing right. for the rest of their life, right? But tweaking it and being responsive and seeing what your body actually needs needs to do. Well, let's talk about apoptosis. That's something that we kind of throw around in the intermittent fasting world when you get your PhD. I feel like I have my PhD in fasting. But th that's one of the things that I really haven't touched enough on or gluconeogenesis that, you know, the magic, you know, I, autophagy obviously is a magical time and won the Nobel Peace Prize for Medicine in 2016 by a Japanese researcher. But apoptosis, that's the cellular death, right? That happens yeah. with the fasting process. Yeah, so autophagy, yeah, it's basically what the cells, um, healthy cells or abnormal cells are needed in order to, um, it's like a programmed cell death, exactly. So healthy cells go through this all the time. Every cell in our body has a certain lifespan, whether it's our skin cells, our eyes, our gut, every organ, every tissue, we, they all have a certain lifespan. Cancer cells like just miss that memo. They're not getting that um, self-destruct. So they keep proliferating. And that's the entire problem with, pro, uh, with cancer. It's a completely different metabolism and they keep growing and they have higher insulin receptors. Um, they don't use glucose the same. They don't use as much ATP or produce as much ATP. It's just a very like flawed system. So when you can use agents like the mistletoe, high dose vitamin C, um, curcumin can act like that, EGCG from green tea. There's a lot of things that you can do naturally to help drive these cancer cells into the program cell death. And that's really the goal is to completely um, protect your healthy cells, not damage every cell in the body, but the ones that are um, programmed differently and have this metabolic flaw, then um, the things like high dose vitamin C will completely help with killing off cancer cells without affecting healthy cells. Well, you know, Dr. Thomas Seyfried says that if a person does a seven day water fast that they've reduced their cancer load, I think by 95%, which, uh, what's the longest fast you've done? Yeah. Um, I mean, when I was 14, I did a, um, a with my mom and like, I'm telling you, my mom had me do all, I had my first colonic at 11. <laughs> I, I love doing, her. <laughs> doing all these crazy things, thinking like, Shh, this is mental. Um, we did, we went to the cottage together and we bought like 85 lemons. We did the, what was it? The, um, 
master cleanse with maple syrup. Yes. We went for 10 days. And I didn't at this point, I was like, am I being punished? What am I what's happening? And I became extremely miserable. I was, I think, depressed. I didn't want to talk to her. For, it was like yeah. day five, day six. <laughs> And then in the middle of the night, I went and got an orange because I was like, I'm going to sneak this orange that's off the master cleanse and have this. So I did a lot of things wrong. And I had a really bad impression of fasting growing up because I saw it as like, oh, you need to lose weight and you oh. know, not eat. And I saw yeah. it as um, just like not feeling good, but not I wasn't doing it the proper way. So now that I understand the whole premise of why you fast, how to like prepare for a fast, how to properly break a fast, what yeah. you can do to transition back to foods. Right now, um, the longest I've done is a five-day water fast. And I just felt like for me personally, I started to lose muscle and I yeah. didn't like feeling too weak. And I looked in the mirror, I'm like, oh, I don't, I didn't have the energy, even though I like felt amazing mentally, like I was on top of my game. You know, you feel really good when you fast, but I'm used to lifting weights and yeah. doing more exercise and you can't get mm-hmm. those amino acids and repair no. properly mm-hmm. if you fast too long. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I've done, uh, I did five day last summer and day four, I was time for my labs anyway. And my glucose was 52 and so I'm sure day five it was under. And, you know, that gets a little, Dr. Mindy Pell says at that point you should break it. Uh, but I think I'm going to incorporate twice yearly three-day fast because it can be done. I can do that. Um, if I feel well before, you know, eat, and I eat well anyway, but high-fat foods, nutritious, delightful, and all that. But it, there is a risk in the refeed that I have to have like bone broth and watermelon Otherwise, you are going to have disaster pants is what Dave Asprey calls it because it will upset your tummy. But um, yeah, yeah. And I actually really like the research by Dr. Walter Longo, who talks more about fasting mimicking and how that can be beneficial because some people, they'll go on these three day, five day water fast and like, yeah, I'm going to squash all these cancer cells and do such a beneficial thing. And then right after they're like food and they just want to eat everything and have no control. So in that case, just caloric restriction maybe once a month of doing a five-day fasting mimicking plan can also get your body into autophagy, start producing ketones. It does. Lower I, insulin. How does it do that though if you're still feeding it? That has always baffled me. It's so low. Like your protein levels are under 20 grams a Ugh. day, like maybe even 10. Your carbohydrate net carbs are under 20, like in such a low amount. And so, yeah, it's like, five pieces of spinach. It's like, you're not getting uh-huh. one. Uh-huh. And it is a little bit of form of its own torture of like, oh, I yeah. can have just like five of these things. So it is, it's tough, but it's for the people who need a little bit of energy, like through glucose, like they're working and they can't be in this like rest and yeah. relaxed space. Yeah. So personalizing again, right? Like sure. medicine for one could be torture and inflammatory for someone else. Yeah. Well, I know um, like my nurse practitioner sells the box set of the Prolon. And I think he he's behind that. But this is what I say as an intermittent faster started in 2017. It's easier to go with no food than to tease me with just a little. Because when you tease me with just a little, my insulin is so happy. You know, my pancreas is pushing it out. Insulin comes out and then it wants to push glucose to the cells. And there's hardly any glucose to push to the cells. So I'm hungrier. I yeah. do better. Again, personalized. I do better with totally removing it 
Yeah. And then living that way. But I have read, I know Dr. Walter Longo is the, I mean, chief in charge on this research. I just, maybe I'm not on board yet because I did that five day prolon thing and I, I didn't like it. Yeah. And you're right. Like there's certain genetic SNPs too, like the FTO genetic SNP where you're predisposed to have more ghrelin production. So that may be you where you have a little bit of something and your insulin spikes a little bit and then the ghrelin hormone kicks in. I promise you I have that because it makes me mentally wobbly that I I do better. My three-day fast I did last month really wasn't that big a deal. I, I mean, it helps. It was a time in my life I didn't have lunches with people you know, I scheduled some rest time. You know, I, I'm not saying you can willy nilly walk into it, but it, for me, it's more doable. Yeah. And the when you look at it, it's like, what is the point of fasting? It's to bring these growth factors down to help with blood glucose levels, to help with inflammation, all of that. And so the amount that you do and how often you do will be very personalized versus someone who like has really great levels of all of those. They maybe could do like one 24 hour fast a week and be completely yeah feeling great. Which Megan Ramos loves her a 24 hour, those weekly or rolling 24 hour fast for autophagy and other things. Well, Dr. Lori, I know you've given us a lot of time and I'm sure your schedule's packed. You're great. People need to follow you on social media. I'll put all the show notes in the show notes, those links, along with you send me the nutrition genome. And by the time that we post that, our listeners will get a discount. And everybody look up mistletoe therapy because now I'm fascinated. (laughs) Amazing. Thank you, Lisa, for having me. This is fun. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe and download all the episodes and leave a review, won't you? The Lisa Fisher Said Podcast is produced by ClantonCreative.com.